This is the West Concord Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you receive a blessing from today's message. As I was searching for God to lead me to the next series to share and to preach, God brought me here. So for the next two or three weeks anyway, we're going to be talking about digging out. And of course, we know that we've been through the COVID pandemic, and and we understand the whole metaphor of digging out from under that. And that's exactly what we at West Concord are trying to do. We're wanting to dig out of that, hoping that the end product is better than the former product. God didn't allow this pandemic for no reason. God allowed this pandemic because He wanted to shake us. He wanted to get our attention. Maybe through this pandemic, He wanted us to take a look inside to see where we are, to see where our walk with Him has gone. And maybe as a church, God brought us through that so that we might then emerge better. So that we might dig out, as it were, and emerge a better church. So we're going to talk about digging out. And this is going to be a physical as well as a spiritual challenge to this church. We're going to be in the book of Hosea today. We're going to talk about the fallow ground. As you know, I am an expert on farming and all things agricultural. People are laughing. They say, why are they so mean to him? Because they're right. I have no clue. Oh, I have fields where I glean my food. One field is called Publix. The other field is called Food Lion. And sometimes some of you wonderful, gracious people leave bags of delightful homegrown vegetables on my door. So I don't know a whole lot, but I'm going to glean from Scripture this morning because we're going to talk about the whole agricultural metaphor because the Bible uses that a lot. And the reason why is because the average person in the day, that is how they survived. They grew their food. They didn't have Publix, Food Line, Walmart, or or any of those places back then. They had to grow what they ate. So they had to understand farming and gardening. And they had to really work it, otherwise they wouldn't survive. And yes, every spring they had to dig out and start planting. We're going to talk about that this morning, and we're going to look at two kinds of ground. Two kinds of ground. How many of y'all have gardens at home? Raise your hand. Okay, you know what I'm talking about. You get up and it's time to plow that field. It's time to till the ground. And maybe for you it's an easy thing, but maybe sometimes it's not. When my kids were little and we homeschooled our kids, we thought we would teach them about agriculture. So my wife had them plant carrots and cucumbers in the backyard, a little ground place. But we're both from Tampa. We don't know anything about farming. So sure enough, they got the set and they they figured it out. They planted it. And we had more cucumbers than we could ever want because they grow easy. Any idiot, I guess, can grow a cucumber. Here I am. We also planted carrots. 
And I love salad. And I couldn't wait to have this delicious salad with these fresh cucumbers and these big old orange carrots. But when we pulled up the carrots, something different was there. We had carrot kisses. They look like little orange chocolate kisses on the end of the whole green thing. Because our backyard is clay and we didn't dig deep enough. So they only grow that much. So I had one salad. Because <laughs> we didn't dig down far enough. We didn't break up that hard, fallow ground. Now, A.W. Tozer tells us that there are two kinds of ground. And you know this if you've done any kind of farming or gardening. There is fallow ground. Fallow ground meaning ground that has gotten crusty and hardened. There is fallow ground, ground that has been left alone, turned back to nature. And then there is ground that has been broken up by the plow. Ground that is, someone has gone in and has broken it up and plowed it and tilled it and prepared it for planting. Now he's going to contrast these two grounds. First of all, he talks about the fallow field. He says the fallow field is smug. That's an interesting word. Contented, protected from the shock of the plow and the agitation of the harrow. Such a field as it lies year after year becomes a familiar landmark for the crow and for the blue jay. Had it intelligence, it might take a lot of satisfaction in its reputation. It has stability. That's good. Nature has adopted it. In other words, it's come back in and grown over it. It can be counted upon to remain always the same. Boy, we like that. While the fields around it, they change from brown to green and back to brown again. Safe and undisturbed. It sprawls lazily in the sunshine, the picture of sleepy contentment. What a wonderful poetic description of fallow ground. Well, look what he, how, he, how he contrasts plowed ground, cultivated ground. He says, in the direct opposite to this, the cultivated field has yielded itself to the adventures of living. The protecting fence has opened to admit the plow. And the plow has come as plows always come, practical, cruel, businesslike, and in a hurry. Peace has been shattered by the shouting farmer and the rattle of machinery. The field has felt the travail of change. It has been upset and turned over, bruised and broken. Boy, that doesn't sound appealing, does it? So those are the two fields, the, the fallow field, sitting on itself, doing its thing. It's not going to change anything. It's not going to grow anything, and don't expect it to. It's satisfied. You can count on it. Whereas the plowed field, man, it's getting beat up. It's getting walked on. It's getting dug up. Stuff stuffed in it. Constant things going on. Never a rest. As we talk about digging out, which description do you fit in? Your walk with Christ. Your Christian life. Or how about this church? 
Would you look at this church, if we think of this church, as we said back in John 15 a few weeks ago, as a vineyard? Would we think of this church as being fallow or plowed and cultivated? Well, this is what we're going to look at as we open the book of Hosea this morning. But before we do that, let's go and seek God's faith so he might give us his wisdom. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us. Father, this year we've had sunshine, we've had a lot of rain. Father, many in our church, are, they have planted gardens. They've gone out and sweated and gotten dirty. They've dug in the earth, they planted the seed, and Father, they're enjoying the benefits of it. As the summer has come, they've begun to harvest what they've planted. And Father, how often we forget that life is sort of that way as well. Our world was plunged into crusty, covered death through Adam and Eve and their sin. But Father, out of the ground, Jesus sprang and re resurrected and rose. And Father, may we live that resurrected life. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be in Hosea chapter 10. Now, Hosea is what is called one of the minor prophets. Now, that's not a designation of him personally. When we see the minor prophets in the Old Testament, that means their books are just shorter. Their books are shorter. Because their message was concise. Hosea lived in what was then the northern kingdom of Israel. Israel had split after Solomon into the northern ten tribes of Israel and the southern two tribes of Judah. The Bible tells us that Israel's history and Judah's history was rather shaky. As they went from honoring and loving God to turning their backs upon him and spitting in his face. And God told them all the way back in Moses' day, in Deuteronomy, he said, if you'll, if you'll honor me, keep my commandments and walk with me, I will honor you, I will keep you stable, I will bless you. He said, but if you turn from me and follow after other gods and other idols and disobey my commandments, I will deal with you. I'll uproot you and someone else will come and carry you off. Well, as we come into the picture in Hosea, we see the machinations of that upheaval coming. The nation of Israel, those ten tribes, have begun to turn their backs upon God. And God illustrates this by leading Hosea to write a book on love and adultery. Hosea, he was commanded to go and marry a prostitute. Now, it's debate whether she was a prostitute at the time, but she became a prostitute. And Hosea had to feel the sting and the betrayal of her, of her prostitution. But he was commanded to love her anyway, and he did. Such was the picture of Israel and their relationship with God. As a matter of fact, Hosea, by Bible scholars, has been called the Apostle John of the Old Testament the prophet of love. For even though he was betrayed, he still loved. Even though the nation of Israel and even Judah eventually betrayed God, they, they, he still loved them. He still loved them. But Hosea was 
prophesying toward the end of the lifespan for the nation of Israel. Very soon the Assyrians would come and, and, and just destroy the nation and scatter the people. They would never be seen again. They would never be part of the people. You've heard of them referred to in history as the ten lost tribes of Israel. They weren't lost. They were just spread out. They never came back again. And while God had to bring message after message of judgment, condemnation, there were times when God also reached out the loving hand of grace, saying, yes, you've been afar from me. Yes, you've, you've betrayed me. Yes, you've turned your back on me. But God said, I still love you. I still want you. And throughout the Old Testament, God reaches that loving hand out and He's saying, come back. Come back. And as we go into Hosea's prophecy, we get sort of one of those hands out right now in this passage. So we're in Hosea chapter 10. We're going to look at two verses, 12 and 13. And it's going to deal, God is going to use that farming metaphor. He's going to envision Israel as being part of a field or in a field. And he's going to contrast that fallow ground versus that plowed ground. And that's what we as a church and we as believers need to do this morning. As we read this and as we look at that, you and I need to place ourselves into this picture. And yes, we as a church need to place ourselves into this picture. You know, we scheduled the dig out Sunday so that we might get our classes ready for Sunday school. And we're still going there. We're still doing that. We just couldn't arrange today's event. But we're still looking forward to getting Sunday school back sooner than later and getting things up and running and going. But we need to do more than that. We need to do more than just get our stuff going again. Got to get Sunday school up. Got to get things going back again. We need to ask ourselves, why are we doing that? Why are we getting our Sunday school classes back together? Why are we trying to dig out? Why are we trying to get back it up and running? Just so we can have our club? Are we truly interested in doing great and amazing things for God? Let's dig into this. Let's look in Hosea chapter 10. He tells us first what, what Israel must do, but also what we must do. Look at verse 12 of Hosea chapter 10. It says, So for yourselves righteousness... Reap in mercy. You know, again, that metaphor is used all over the Old Testament and the New Testament. As a matter of fact, in Galatians, Paul tells us very clearly, you will reap what you sow. Now, again, I'm not an agricultural genius, but I do know if you plant orange seeds, you're going to get an orange tree. See, I knew that. I grew up in Florida. I know that if you plant tomato seeds, you're going to get tomatoes. You reap what you sow. You can't expect to plant apple seeds and get watermelons. It doesn't work that way. I see somebody nudging. I see Martha. I told you he knew something. Okay. So he says, sow for yourselves righteousness, reap in mercy. So what, what must we do? First of all, we must plant righteousness. We've got to decide what we're going to plant in the garden of our life. We need to decide what we're going to plant in the field of this church. And he tells them righteousness. What in the world? How do we do that? Well, righteousness simply means goodness. Goodness that glorifies God. 
rightness. So the question is begged, what is right before God? What does it mean to plant righteousness in our lives and in the church? It means that we do righteous and good things that glorify God. The actions that we make, the things that we say, the direction that we go, all of our lives as believers must be planted with righteousness. Righteousness is doing good to glorify God. Where do we find out how to do that? In the Word of God. In the Word of God. We need to be obedient to the Word of God. Oh, we like to read it. Many people can boast, I've read through the Bible five times. I've read the Bible uh, all my life. I read the Bible every morning. Praise the Lord for that. But do you obey what you read? Does it impact your life, or are you just proud of an accomplishment? Can I tell you something? You really haven't accomplished much if you read the Bible and it doesn't transform and change your life. When we plant righteousness, it means that when we walk into these doors, we do good. When we walk out of these doors, we do good. Doing good is being obedient to God. You know, we can talk about the basic things, being obedient and consistent quality prayer time, being obedient in reading and, and, and applying the Word of God, being obedient in sharing the gospel, telling others about Christ, being obedient in fellowshipping with one another. We did a whole series on discipleship, and listen, I can't say it enough, we need each other. We need to pour into somebody else's life. Listen, when you plant righteousness, that means getting involved in somebody else's life and planting in their hearts and minds. And in turn, letting someone plant righteousness and goodness and godliness in yours. So we need to decide what our crop is going to be. He says we need to decide that we sow righteousness. And what will happen? Well, we'll reap mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is not getting what you and I deserve. Isn't that a good thing? When we pour our lives into somebody, when we pour our lives into the mission of Almighty God, when we pour good things, deeds, words, actions into the church, into the lives of our family, into the lives of our co-workers, our fellow students, our friends, we will then reap the mercy of Almighty God. That's what Israel needed to hear. Because Israel right now, as he was writing this, was living under the cloud of judgment. The nation of Assyria, which was a great world empire, was already gearing up. And they, in fact, Israel didn't listen, and they, in fact, conquered the nation of Israel in 722 B.C. Carried them off, scattered them. How often does that happen in our churches today? You're sitting here, if you've been here a while, or maybe you were at another church for a while, there are people that you knew, people that you loved, people that you cared for. But for whatever reason, they let the world carry them off. You look now at empty chairs and you think, I remember when so-and-so used to sit there, wonder what happened to them. God forbid that would be you and I. Plant and sow righteousness, reap mercy. Well, before we do that, what do we have to do? We have to plow. We have to break up the crust. Look what he says. He says, break up your fallow ground. In other words, you've got to go and prepare for this. This just doesn't happen. 
I hear often about Christians who may have been saved and, and may not have been saved, but people who call themselves Christians say, you know, Christianity is pretty dry. Christianity is pretty boring. You know why that is? Because you hadn't been involved in it. Because let me tell you, I've been saved since I was 16 years old. And I can guarantee Christianity has been anything but boring. It has been an adventure. And you know what's the key is to get involved. You know what would be boring? Standing in a fairground watching a roller coaster for 10 hours. Try it. Go to Carowinds, get your family, pay the big ticket, go in there and stand there and watch one of the roller coasters. Can you imagine? Daddy, are we getting on? No, we're going to just watch. But that looks like fun. Yeah, it does. Shut up and just watch. Dad, this roller coaster is boring. Hush, it's not boring. It's a roller coaster. That's how we do Christianity most of the time. We sit back and we watch it go. But we don't jump in. But I'll tell you what, you want to have fun? Get on the stinking roller coaster. Now, I don't know why I use that because I hate roller coasters, okay? <laughs> I used to love them until I turned 30. I don't know what it was turning 30, but I started getting sick after I turned 30. Now I can't stand a roller coaster, so it's kind of fun for me to watch it, at least for a few minutes, watch other people get sick. That's always good. But it's not going to be fun unless you get involved. But in order to do that, you've got to prepare. And he says, break up the fallow ground, the crusty ground. Oh, my goodness. Let me tell you something about it, folks. Especially if you've been saved for a while. We are a crusty bunch of people. We are! And I'll tell you another thing. We're a crusty old church. <gasps> he said something negative. No, I didn't. I'm telling you the truth. And we're not the only one. Most of the churches out here and around here have become crusty in some way or another. What kind of crust am I talking about? Well, in our personal lives, we let the crust of selfishness build up. We let the crust of personal opinion get fixed. We let the crust of, 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 of self-desire to get, to get heavy. The crust of our own sin. Not only that, but in the church, we let the crust of tradition. Boy, that's a big one. We've never done it that way before. I've been around this church long enough to have actually heard that two or three times. And I just smile and wave, you know. But we've never done that before. Or I wish we can do it like we did before. Do you know what happened back when you did that before? Back in the day. Oh, I want to get back the way it was before. You know what was going on before? Those older people then were saying, I wish we'd have done things like men before. That's been going on ever since the Apostle Paul. We need to break down the crust of tradition. Break it up. The crust of self-centeredness in the church. This is how I want it to go. I want my schedule. I want my time. We need to break that up. Let me tell you other crusts that we've gotten involved in. The crust of laziness. Unfortunately for many believers, COVID has breed laziness. Because listen, isn't it easier to sit on the couch and watch church than to have to come and be the church? Now, we had to do that at different times and different seasons because it was necessary for safety. But some people have not gotten over that. And let's face it, we spend more time looking at screens than we do personal flesh faces. 
and we've allowed our Christianity to go flat and lazy. Well, I haven't got time, Pastor. I need my time to rest. I haven't got time, Pastor. I need my time. Listen, and I don't want to be too harsh, but if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have no time. It all belongs to God Almighty. Now, he's given you a family to cultivate. Definitely spend time with them. He needs the, you do need to rest at times. But then other times you need to be up and running. We let the crust of laziness, though, and we need to kind of dig out from that. Or the crust of politics. I'm going to get people mad now. The crust of politics. I'm going to tell you something right now. Never in my life as a minister of the gospel have I seen politics infect and poison the church more than it has done today. And just so you'll know, I'm not a Republican and I'm not a Democrat, and chances are I'm more conservative than you could ever hope to be. But we've allowed the crust of politics to cause us to sit with prune-faced expressions and not jump out there and get involved in worship and ministry. We'll see a little bit more about that in a minute. But we need to break up the crust. We need to decide that this field is worth planting and righteousness is a worthy crop. So what must we do? We must plant righteousness, break up the crust, and seek the Lord. Look what he says as we finish. He says, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord. Listen, Israel, we got the Assyrians. They're gearing up. They're ready. And, and, and you've turned your back. You know what? God would relent if you would just turn your back, turn your face rather to him. Seek the Lord. Now listen, I believe God wants to judge this nation because this nation, I understand we were never a Christian nation to begin with. Oh, we were founded on Judeo-Christian principles, but nowhere did we have the label sewn in our national drawers that said Christian. But I'll tell you this, as long as this nation has honored God, it was honored and I believe judgment is coming unless we seek the Lord. Not only as a nation, but I believe as a church. I believe the church in Jesus, of Jesus Christ in the United States is dangerously close. Because we've watered down the truth. We've allowed all kinds of things to go on. As far as political correctness, as far as chasing us. we got two extremes. We've got political correctness on one side and uber-patriotism, which has overshadowed Christ on the other. Now, understand, I love America. We're going to talk a little bit about that next week. I love this country. My father served for this country. But if I'm going to be a good American, it means I must be a great citizen of heaven. But we've allowed the crust of politics to overshadow that. It's time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. You know, isn't it great when it rains? I was sitting out here the other day. I was in my office uh, making phone calls, and, and it rained. It was pouring. I was on the phone with somebody, and I could barely hear him because it was raining so hard. And then when it got done, I went outside, and I sat on the porch for about 10 minutes. Man, it was beautiful. Don't you love it after the rains come? Everything seems washed and fresh. And all of a sudden, the birds start coming out, and they're singing, and they get excited. This is what we want the reign of God's Spirit to fall upon our church, upon our lives. That's why many of us don't experience freshness, because we're not seeking the Lord. 
We're seeking answers, but not from the Lord, and we'll see that in just a moment. What does it mean to seek the Lord? It means taking our lives, taking our church, taking who and what we are, and saying, Lord, what do you want to do with it? My life, this church, my family. Lord, I want to honor you with my life. I'm going to get into your word. I'm going to pray and bring my my heart to you, Lord. I'm going to let your word speak to me. And I'm not just going to read it. I'm going to obey it. Our dear brother Mike prayed for revival this morning. We haven't talked about revival in years. We used to have revival meetings. Praying for God's revival. That's almost like an old-fashioned word now. You don't see it in Christian literature anymore. That's a shame. And I'm not saying we go back to having week-long revival meetings again. What I am saying is revival needs to happen. It doesn't need to take a week-long meeting. It just needs you meeting with God on a regular, consistent basis. Seek the Lord till he rains down righteousness. That's what we must do. Yes, we must dig out. Yes, we must plow the field. And it has to start now. It can't wait till you're ready. It can't wait till your schedule clears up. It can't wait till your children are grown. It can't wait till you have more money. It must start start now. It can't wait till your favorite president is the White House. It must start now. It can't wait till your health renews. It must start now. So sow righteousness, prepare to reap mercy, break up the fallow ground and seek the Lord. That's what we must do. Well, why Why must we do it? Why do we have to do that? Well, the reason why Israel had to do that is because they had been doing the wrong thing. Even though they were God's chosen people, even though they were his people, they were doing the wrong thing. Oh, and understand, they were going through the machinations of their religion. They were doing the temple sacrifices. The priests were active. They were doing all the religious things, but there was no substance behind them. Because why? They had crusted over. See, religion is a crusty thing, too. So what, must be, what do we have to do, and why must we do it? Well, first of all, he says that we plowed in the wrong field. Look what he says, verse 13. You have plowed wickedness and reaped iniquity. Instead of plowing righteousness, sowing righteousness and reaping mercy, he said, you people have plowed wickedness and reaped iniquity. Wickedness is general immorality. And you don't have to look far in our nation to see that is the, the tenor of the land. And God forbid it's also bleeding into the church. And I'm not going to stand up here and read off a litany of sins and debauchery. You don't need me to do that. Because immorality is not just the big stuff. Immorality is ignoring God. That's immoral. Immorality is not praying when you should be. Immorality is not seeking His face. Because morality is good and bad, right and wrong. I had somebody tell me one time, they said, Mike, you shouldn't tell people that they shouldn't do right and wrong. I said, so you're telling me it's wrong that I shouldn't tell people that they shouldn't do wrong? He said, yeah. That's why we have problems. Think about that. Let that sink in. You'll need some Tylenol later. 
We have plowed selfishness, wickedness. We have plowed fields for our own benefit. And there's nothing wrong with making a life for yourself and your family, but there must be a reason behind that, not just getting stuff and being something. We need to get stuff and be something for the glory and honor of God. He said, you've plowed fields of wickedness. We've gotten caught up in our career. We've gotten caught up in our hobbies. We've gotten caught up in our leisure. This is why Rome fell, because Rome was more involved in bread and circuses than they were involved in true righteousness. And the church of Jesus Christ was founded in the Roman Empire. He says, you have plowed wickedness and you have reaped iniquity. Iniquity is immorality that is unjust and unkind. Iniquity is injustice, injustice against God and injustice against our fellow man. And we see injustice around us everywhere. And that's what's going on today. Even in the church, the church is turning in on itself. Part of that is because of the crusty politics. Part of that is the self-absorption. We go on social media and we argue and we fuss and we call each other names. I still don't get that. I still don't get that. It's unfortunate it's become more media now than social. He says, you've reaped iniquity. Because we plowed in the wrong fields. Instead of plowing in God's fields, we're out there plowing in the world's fields. We're more interested in what Megan and Harry are doing than what God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are doing. We, we make schedules and set aside time to watch the Country Music Awards, but we won't set time aside to pray and study Scripture. And we've turned the Super Bowl into a gigantic holiday because two different teams wearing two different jerseys are playing a ball game. Yet the greatest competition is for your soul and the soul of your family in this church. We plowed the wrong field. We've consumed the wrong crop. Look what he goes on to say. He says, you've plowed wickedness, you've reaped iniquity, and you've eaten the fruit of lies. Oh my goodness, that stings. Because we go on social media now. We go on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. And I'm amazed how many people believe stuff on there. Oh, Brother Mike, I know it's true because my friend said it on Facebook. Oh, Brother Mike, I know it's true because I have these studies. You know something about those studies? I have studies too. Everybody can get studies from their favorite studier, study person, whatever you want to call them. We need to believe truth. And yeah, it does take a lot of effort to find the truth. It does. It takes a tremendous amount of effort. And I'll be honest with you, I've been embarrassed before. I've been embarrassed before because back in the early days, man, I put something out on Facebook one time. I was so proud of it. I put a meme out there, and I thought, this will shake people. This will lead people to Jesus. This is a great meme. And then I had somebody smarter than I personal message me and say, Pastor Mike, that guy you quoted never said that. You're out of your mind. I went back and looked, and they were right. And so while nobody was looking, I had to delete that post. But unfortunately, maybe somebody read it and believed it. We believe lies. We're believing the lies of the world. 
We're believing the lies of different politicians and pundits and the media. I tell you, at one time in my life, I was a news junkie. I don't turn on news programs anymore. It's just all indoctrination, propaganda, and you've got to be careful. Get the headlines, and that's all you need. Real truth is in the Scripture, but we've eaten a crop of lies. And when you ingest lies, you do the wrong thing. So what have we done? What, why, why must we do this plowing? And this? Because we plowed in the wrong field. We've consumed the wrong crop. And listen, we've worked the wrong way. Look at verse 13 as we finish. He said, because you trusted in your own way. You've trusted in your own way. I'm going to do it my way, Pastor. I'm going to do things my way. Wasn't it Frank Sinatra? I did it my way. Okay. Look where he wound up. Did he know the Lord? I hope he did. I did it my way. Lord, I'm going to do it my way. You go ahead. We fight and fuss about so many things in church. And when was the last time we asked what God wanted? Oh, I don't like this kind of music. I don't like that kind of music. Oh, I don't like the way the preacher preaches. Oh, I don't like the way the deacons deek. I don't like this. When was the last time we asked what the Lord wanted? Let me tell you what the Lord wants. The Lord, if you're unless you're propositionally and physically hindered, you need to be here on Sunday morning. You say, but brother, I'm going on vacation. You know what? They got churches at other places. I can't imagine going on vacation and not going to church. They got churches in Tampa. They got churches in California. They got churches in Atlanta. They got churches in New York. God wants you and I in church on Sunday morning. And listen, unless you have COVID or physically hindered, you better not be on the couch at 10.30 on Sunday morning. But that's my way, Pastor. I'm going to do it my way. This is what I like. We're going to talk in this Digging Out series about our opinions and our philosophies. He says, because you trusted in your own way, and notice this, and in the multitude of your mighty men. Did you hear that? I told you we were going to come back to the political thing. Your mighty men. Oh, my president's going to take this country and turn it around. I don't care if you're a Democrat or a Republican. We've had 45 presidents. Some Democrats, some Republicans. We've had Whigs. We've had Democrat Republicans. And you know what? This country's still a mess to a great extent. We think the next president's going to come in and change that. I love the quote by Chuck Colson, who, after serving in the Nixon administration and being implicated in Watergate because he lied, in prison he found Jesus Christ. And I love this quote. He said, don't expect your Savior to come zooming in on Air Force One. No political party has the answer. No politician has the answer. Yes, as Americans, we should vote. And we should vote our convictions, and our convictions should be based on scriptural truths. But at the end of the day, it is God who saves the nation, if it's going to be saved at all. In the end, it is the church of Jesus Christ, uh, surrendered unto God, plowing the field and the world around it, setting the tone and temperature for this place. But instead, the church in this day and age has blown whatever the wind has blown it. 
we ought to be ashamed. We've trusted in our mighty men, our politicians, our news people, our professors in our universities. Let me tell you something. If you've got a child in one of the universities, you'd better look at what they're learning. And I'm going to say that now about the Christian schools and universities. The only perfect seed of education is at the feet of Jesus Christ. So why must we do it? Well, we plowed the wrong field. We've been out in the world sowing and reaping, and we haven't been at the feet of God sowing and reaping. Instead of planting righteousness, we planted wickedness. Instead of reaping mercy, we've reaped iniquity. Instead of consuming the bounty and blessings of God, we consumed lies because we worked the wrong way. A.W. Tozer now brings this whole comparison to a close as we do this morning. He first talks about the fallow field. He says the fallow field is paying a terrible price for its tranquility. The fallow field, the crusty, dry field. Nothing, it's just kind of cruising along. It's quiet, it's peaceful. Nothing rocks it, nothing shakes it. Kind of like many believers are. The fallow field is paying a terrible price for its tranquility. Never does it feel the motions of mounting life nor see the wonders of bursting seed, nor the beauty of ripening grain. Fruit it can never know, because it is afraid of the plow and the harrow. Most Christians never see the excitement, the thrill, the amazing power of God in their lives and in the church, because they're happy to let the crust cover them and protect them. There's no fruit in their lives. There's no, there's no excitement in their lives. We've joined the other hamsters on the hamster wheel of life in this world. We follow the other rats in the rat race and never know the wonder of God. We never know the excitement, man, of watching somebody come to know Jesus as Savior. That still thrills my soul every time I experience it. It still thrills my soul when I'm talking to someone and it, they, they come to know Christ. Have you experienced that? The fallow field is paying a terrible price. But then he, he goes here. He, he winds up as far as the cultivated field. He says the cultivated field's rewards come hard upon its doors, its labors. In other words, there are tremendous rewards in the cultivated field, but it's a hard hard thing. The seed shoots up in, into the daylight, its miracle of life, curious, exploring the new world above it. All over the field, the hand of God is at work in the age-old and ever-renewed service of creation. New things are born to grow, to mature, and to consummate the grand prophecy latent in their seed when it entered the ground. Nature's workers follow the plow. In other words, those people who are cultivating their lives and allowing God to plow up their lives, they're seeing life as it was meant to be seen. They're, they're seeing things happen. They're watching things grow and people come to Christ. They're watching lives change. They're watching miraculous things occur before their very eyes. And I submit to you this morning that most of us have never seen that because we've allowed the, the crust to keep us comfortable and protected. 
And I love the line in the middle there. He says, all over the field, the hand of God is at work in the age-old and ever-renewed service of creation. God wants us to dig out, folks. God wants us to break up the fallow ground. And it's gotten more fallow because of COVID. But you know what? The days are over where we can blame that. It's now time to look back and first look into our own hearts and minds. And ask God, what lesson do you want me to learn from that? It's now time for this church to decide Okay, we want to dig out. We want Sunday school to start. We want VBS to be what it was. We want uh, all this stuff. But the question is, why? Just so we're entertained? So church will be the way I want it? Let me ask you, how does the church, how does God want the church? Understand this, God isn't interested in entertaining you and I. Sitting on the back pew or sitting in the front pew or sitting in the side pew with your arms folded and your heart self-absorbed and your own crustiness, those days are over. Those days are over. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of looking at a TV screen sitting on a couch. I want to see life again. I want to see God's hand moving at West Concord Baptist Church again. But more importantly... I want to see the recreative power of God in my life to lift me and to raise me. So the bottom line is this as we finish this morning. The whole idea is this. Ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. Fields that sit fallow, they do nothing. They don't grow anything. They don't change except to become more crusted and more dry. They don't produce life or fruit or food because no one does the work. The field doesn't endure the pain. You and I today will go eat lunch somewhere. Not here today. No subs or sodas. I'm sorry. But you'll go eat lunch somewhere. You'll have a salad. You'll have a sandwich. The reason why is because some woman or some man has broken up the fallow ground and has planted the good seed to wield the good food. Would to God that would be said of West Concord Baptist Church and of me and of you. For additional sermon resources and to find out who we are, visit us online at westconcordchurch.com. Thanks for listening.